the Wednesday edition of the North Shore Drive podcast. We're going multi-sports here. We're talking Steelers and Pirates after the signing of Carlos Santana, but also how's Kenny Pickett looking after three straight games, no interceptions, and we're talking PFF grades here. I'm Chris Carter with Adam Bittner and Jason Mackey. It's our first three-person recording of the North Shore Drive podcast since we've rebranded. It's going to be a fun episode. Let's get into it. You are now listening to the North Shore Drive Podcast, a show on all things Pittsburgh sports from the writers of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, hosted by Christopher Carter. And welcome to the North Shore Drive Podcast. I'm Chris Carr with Adam Bittner and Jason Mackey. We are all of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. You can find this show on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday right here on the YouTube page of, of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Also on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere podcasts are hosted. We, we always thank everyone for checking us out as we go through the week. Don't forget, we got daily content coming out here on the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette's channels, so do stay tuned with all of that content. Today's episode is brought to you by the Accresure Fan Advantage, the power to project one of our Post-Gazette Steelers beat writers into your home or office. By using augmented reality, you can get, get an exclusive pregame breakdown from a Steelers expert standing right in your living room. Get the latest insights on starting lineups, key matchups, and critical stats at post-gazette.com slash Fan Advantage. No apps or downloads, just insider access to Steelers updates at post-gazette.com slash Fan Advantage and get a real edge on this week's action. As I said before, I'm joined by Adam and Jason. Jason, it's time to do our do our three way talk here. We've been doing back and forth, but it's going to be interesting to see how this mixes up. Adam, how you been, man? I've been well. I found out that they have N sixty four games on the Switch, and I was playing some Star Fox last night, so that was a nostalgic <laughs> trip down memory lane. No, no, uh, no, double O seven. Not yet. I heard it's coming out soon, though. Oh, I can't wait for that. Jason, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. So wait, wait, N sixty four on Switch. And is that one? Is that your system? And two, how do you get that? Because I'm going to go steal my eight year old's switch. <laughs> I just got something that has like all kinds of old Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis games on it. And now I feel really old for doing that. Yeah, you can just get it on the uh, Nintendo Switch online. I, I just discovered this myself. So I was like, that's pretty cool. Buddy, let's Whoa. go. A little quarterback club. That was <laughs> that's, the Mario Kart. That's crazy. But, uh, Talking about quarterback club, let's talk about uh, let's talk about Kenny Pickett because this is now the third straight game that he's thrown no interceptions, which is progress considering he threw eight in his first few games there in the NFL. Um, the Steelers are two and one during the time. Didn't throw a touchdown in the in the in the last game to win over the Colts. Uh, did have one dropped by Deontay Johnson. Uh, did miss a throw to George Pickens. But all in all, he's kind of been the manager that's now fit the Steelers brand of how they've wanted to play football we're talking the way they play defense and the way they want to run the ball even without Najee Harris and Jalen Warren they found ways to move the ball uh in the second half especially with a really big touchdown drive that was able to get the Steelers the lead back after the Colts surged back in that game I wanted to get you guys' opinions on Kenny Pickett and is his progress happening fast enough right now? I, I think it is. I think that, the, the, again, rookie expectations should always be tampered in the NFL. But the way that he's moving forward is a lot like the pace that I think he needed to hit you know, for, for this season. He needed to kind of slow things down, let the game process, avoid the big mistakes, and let the rest of the team kind of make the winning plays, whereas he makes the necessary plays to kind of get the ball down the field i wanted to get you guys' thoughts starting with jason when you've watched kenny pickett you know we, we talked earlier in the season with how he looked in his first yep. few debuts what do you see that's different about him now 
honestly, Chris, and I, I would agree with you um, to the point of I might even go in a little bit further and, and say that I think Kenny Pickett's progress has been faster than I expected, faster than I even need to see to feel good about it. I've been plenty encouraged by it. Um, I feel like we've seen little things um, in in each game that have been encouraging. Like I've noticed throws that Kenny would make early on in his time starting now that he's okay to live the fight another day. He'll run out of bounds, throw it out of bounds, or whatever, realizes it's more important to protect the ball. I don't expect that to happen all the time. I'm certainly okay with them opening up the playbook, but you know, I like that they've established just a little bit of a downfield threat. I mean, it's certainly not, you know, what the end goal should be, but finding George Pickens, having something there to take the top off of the defense. You've seen it open up the running game a little bit more. I like what I've seen. Um, the command of the offense. It's there's just something about um there's an it factor there and it's it's not like Trent Dilfer classic game manager to me like it's making winning plays and it's a little bit of what you said Chris it's kind of like a young Ben Roethlisberger if it involves his legs great if it involves you know a two-yard run to Benny Snell in the right situation commanding your offense making a throw third and nine to George Pickens that you really need to complete that sort of stuff man like I don't care about your stats I don't need you to throw for 350 and four every week but playing winning football and I feel like he's done more of that lately I, I agree with that assessment. I think that's the biggest thing. Like you said, it doesn't matter if he throws for 400 yards or 200 yards, as long as he's not turning the ball over and he's getting drives down the field. The Steelers had four of five of their five drives go for scoring, go for points in the first half last week. Yes, that only yielded 16 points, and you want that to be better, but that's a lot better than where they've been. And they've now had three straight games with at least 20 points scored. I think that's a good sign for where they're at. Uh, Adam, what have you seen that you've liked from Kenny Pickett? I really like, I mean, he's completing a lot of balls and, and, you know, when things are working, I think that's a trend we saw going back to the preseason is, is that, you know, he can, it's not uh, impossible for him to hit an 80% completion percentage. And I think, you know, if you didn't have some of those drops in that game Monday night, he would have been flirting with that. And, and, and I think that's his, his way for success is, you know, he's not going to have a ton of downfield success. I think it was something like six, 6.2 yards per attempt the other night. Um, but that's okay as long as you're hitting every pass you're trying to throw. Um, and, and I think we saw him start to do that Monday night. We've seen it in some other games. Um, and so I think that's, that's conducive for success. Um, I, I think Drew Brees is kind of the model for that. I think Kenny Pickett's a different player, but Drew Brees was very efficient. And if, if Kenny Pickett can retain that kind of efficiency as he starts to, to get better throwing downfield, reading defenses, I think that's going to be a dangerous combination um, you know, as, as he continues to mature. So, you know, I like what I'm seeing too. Um, it, it's just a matter of, you know, when, when does that downfield um, component start, you know, showing up in his game? Do we see it, you know, down the stretch of the season? Is it something that's maybe more of a year two thing? That's my big question at this point. I think that is the big question, right? We're, we're trying to see when will Kenny Pickett uh, have have the big game uh, that, that everyone's kind of looking forward to. I guess like a like, you know seeing multiple touchdown passes where the, the Steelers light it up. I also think it's it's very interesting. It'll be very interesting to see how he does against some of these defenses down the stretch. You got the Falcons, you got the Panthers, you got the Raiders. Heck, Trevor Lawrence just threw all over the Ravens, and you still got to play them twice. I'd be very intrigued to see how Kenny Pickett does in these final games and what it sets the Steelers up for next year. Because remember. 
remember, this year was always about next year and the years moving forward. No one thought the Steelers would ever be Super Bowl contenders. Every, a, lot, a few people thought that they'd even be playoff contenders. Um, and I think right now everyone's looking for, well, who can Kenny Pickett be for the future Steelers teams? If you set up your, yourself in a position at the end of the year that there's confidence, I think that that's what most Steelers fans would happily take going into next season. What do you guys think, though? I'm I'm perfectly fine with that, Chris. And I mean, I think I don't I, I don't mean to steer the question away from Kenny Pickett, but sure. I feel like based on what I'm about to say, it's impossible not to. I've been really impressed by the offensive line, mm-hmm. and, and to me, that's some progress. Um, not a total believer. I still think they have work to do, but these past few weeks have shown me they're capable of running the football. And if they're able to run the football, that takes the load off of Kenny Pickett. That makes some throws he's trying to make easier. It opens up different parts of the playbook, like. To me, that's when you when you have a young quarterback like this, a really good defense, one of the inherent parts of that recipe is running the football, and they've been able to do it. So to me, that that really bodes well for what Kenny's been able to do and avoiding forcing things. I uh, picked up our Tomlin press conference uh, coverage as the guys were coming back from Indianapolis yesterday, and one of the things I, I discovered was the Steelers are actually rushing for more yards than they have at any point since 2011. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't. Hit, that includes the Le'Veon Bell era, uh, and that that kind of stunned me. Is is that you know that this team doesn't get a lot of credit for for its run blocking, and I think a lot of times it has felt inadequate um, this season. But yeah, this is this is a team that's doing things differently, um, you know, than than the Steelers have in quite some time. So if you really do have that component, and and maybe we start to notice a little bit a little bit more in the coming weeks, um, yeah, I think that makes life easier. And I think the the comparison to a young Ben Roethlisberger. Um, you know, certainly kind of fits a little bit better than maybe it did certainly early in the season. Most importantly, certainly. Adam, did you have lunch? Did you get there early <laughs> enough to get lunch? Oh, I, I was, uh, I was, I covered remotely because I had a lot of other stuff. To oh, come on. <laughs> I didn't get my free lunch. Very disappointed in you right now. I know, I know. If, if it helps you, Jason, I was there and I had some blackberries. Good. Blackberry, that's it? I love blackberries. They're nice. Okay. Um, All right. I, I, <laughs> Anyways, we got to switch topics because we got to talk about the Pirates signing Carlos Santana. Is it a big deal or is it a nothing burger that's going to lead to another disappointing season? Jason's all over it. He's written about it on the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. We're going to talk about it right here in the North Shore Drive podcast, along with more PFF grades on Pittsburgh Steelers, all in this show. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with that. But first, we got to talk to you guys about Liquid Death. Liquid Death is, of course, the ultimate mountain spring water brand that you can get in a tall boy can. It looks like a beer, but it tastes like the most refreshing water you'll ever drink. If you're if you're looking at Liquid Death, the reason they call it a Liquid Death is because it's here to murder your thirst and murder plastic pollution on the planet. Because 10% of every can sold, the profits of 10% of every can sold, go to fighting plastic pollution on, on our planet. And Liquid Death, again, looks like a tall boy can, looks like a Miller Lite, but when you drink it, it's just nice, refreshing water. Just pull it in a cooler, put it in your fridge, and it's ice-cold water that you're getting without the plastic residue of a normal plastic bottle plastic bottle of water. So go get some Liquid Death right out of a can at your local Target, 7-Eleven, or County Fair, or find Liquid Death retailers near you with their store locator tool located at liquiddeath.com slash shore. That's liquiddeath.com slash shore. We're also brought to you by Valley Pool and Spa. Wouldn't it be nice if the holidays were stress-free? A hot tub 
tub, a swim spa, or a sauna from Valley Pool and Spa will help you feel like it is. Relax and soak in a hot tub or a swim spa from Valley Pool and Spa before the snow flies. Refresh and rejuvenate with a thin layo sauna that is sure to melt your stress away faster than Frosty and Aruba. Save big now on all in-stock hot tubs, swim spas at, at valleypoolspa.com. Be sure to do so at valleypoolspa.com. Back here on the North Shore Drive podcast, I'm Chris Carter with Jason Mackey and Adam Bittner. We are all of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and we're talking to you about all things sports. Now, we're switching up. Normally, we do lots of Steelers, but there was a big Pirates signing, so we've got to get Jason's thoughts on this. The Pirates signed Carlos Santana, former, a former sports hero of Cleveland. He played for the Cleveland baseball franchise for many years, going all the way back to 2010. He was part of their, their World Series run uh, when, they made it, when, they, when they made it there and, and came up just short, uh, but... He's been bouncing around the league. He was with the Royals for a little bit for, for a little bit in 2021. Um, you know, he was he was a, he was he, he's been bouncing around, but now he's come to the Pirates. He's 36 years old. But Jason, Pirates fans have seen plenty of older guys sign with the Pirates and it not turn out. But they've also seen some older guys sign and it'd be part of leading a bunch of young guys to some good years, like Russell Martin, like AJ Burnett. Where do you see Carlos Santana falling on that spectrum of older vets coming to a team that they're trying to rebuild? I love it, Chris. I absolutely love it. I tweeted it right after it was announced or broke or whatever. Um, I think this is such a good move for the Pirates. You cannot find a person to say something bad about Carlos Santana. And not that I'm trying to find that. It's just like (laughs) this guy is so well-respected. And, yes, like the offensive numbers matter. You need him to produce – He plays a position where you want to get offense from, great. But that clubhouse needs a veteran leader, and it could really use a veteran Latin leader for guys like Rodolfo Castro, O'Neal Cruz. I think the world of those guys um, talent-wise, attitude-wise, and I'm going to slow down framing this because I don't want to frame it as they're like jerks or anything like that because I don't think that's the case Mm -hmm. at all. But do they need somebody like Carlos Santana? Yes. And I think a lot of good young players need a veteran leader like that to come in and and sort of be with them and and counsel them the same way Jose Quintana did, I think, for Mitch Keller and Orlando Contreras. And that's not to paint the players that they're helping as issues. It's just like, you know, we can all use that veteran mentorship. I don't care what you're doing. So anyway, um, I love the deal, man. And I love what Charrington said yesterday. I hope that they follow up on that. They need to get pitching, um, obviously need a catcher at this point. Roberto Perez would be fine. There needs to be move, more moves around it. Um, but I like what Santana is going to be able to do with no shift in 2023. Um, I think there's still more there. And this is just this is the exact guy that they needed. Adam, what was your thoughts when you saw this signing happening? Uh, because, you know, J- Jason, Jason's on it. I think he's, he, uh, they needed a guy like this. But is this a guy who's too old and too far out of his prime? Well, I'm, I mean, I think what we might learn is that through the DH, all things are possible, right? That's, that's true. You know, my big, my big question for Jason, I think, is, is obviously they made the deal for uh, G-Man Choi as well. So you've got, you know, a little bit of duplication of, of possible roles there. But that's, I think that's my old National League brain working. Um, yeah. You know, what, what is, what is the, what is the split going to be like? And, um, you know, who's going to be playing when? And, and how do you see that unfolding? Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a very interesting and tricky thing for Derek Shelton to manage. Um, if it... 
Llegaron los Propane Days a Lowe's. Desde ahora hasta el 16 de junio, los miembros MVPs de Lowe's reciben un 20% de reembolso en pintura con una tarjeta de regalo electrónica de Lowe's por compras de pinturas elegibles de 100 dólares o más. Lleva la nueva y exclusiva pintura HGTV Home de Sherwin-Williams Specride para interiores. Lowe's sabe de pros. Aplican exclusiones, restricciones y más términos. Visita Lowe's.com diagonal L diagonal Pro Loyalty Terms. Sujeto a cambios. Probably whoever's better at first base, and my bet at this point would be Carlos Santana. Although, like, I would also one of the inputs needs to be rest and how how guys are feeling, who's played so many in a row, if somebody's battling something. Like, I love the flexibility that the DH provides them. And if you go through a stretch where Carlos Santana's playing a lot of first and G Man Choi maybe isn't, okay, that's fine. You know, maybe it gets to a point where Santana, you don't want to. You don't want to peg it and you want to, you know, bring in Choi to, to kind of rest Santana a little bit. That's great. And, you know, I just think you're going to have to play it and be active with it. And it's going to evolve over the course of the season. Um, another thing that I've sort of heard in this, like feedback from fans is, oh, well, they're probably going to trade them. They're just going to get rid of them. So what? So what? That's exactly what this stuff is designed to be. Like, he's 36 years old. What do you want him to do? Sign him to a 10 year contract? Like, it's okay to trade him. Now, you need to not screw up that trade. You need to have somebody else ready to play first base, Malcolm Nunez, Andy Rodriguez, whatever the case may be. But it is okay if they flip one of these guys. That would be that deal working. You split the time, DH first base, keep them well-rested, see who produces, ride that guy, take the better defender. I mean, that's how you play this. But if one of them becomes expendable, great. Jason, I wish they had had done more of this. I mean, I mean, Same. through the rebuild, there's been places where you're not blocking prospects. There's been places where, um, you know, you could have found roles for for guys making not a ton of money. Like what? This is, I think, six point seven million. We're talking about with Santana, yeah. something in the four range with choice. So you got ten million dollars invested, you know, between first base and DH maybe, um, and, and then you get value on the on the back end. So you make yourself a little bit better on the front end. You make yourself watchable. You give people some, like, you know, maybe we get into July and we're talking about, oh, they're only five games out. You know, yeah. I think that would have done wonders for, for you know, the rebuild at the gate and, and people's belief in it. Um, and, and then you can trade them on the back end. And people, There's a lot of people that love the – there's people that complain about the, selling the veterans, but there's people that enjoy, you know, finding out what prospects you can get too. And, and you know, I've played, you know, out-of-the-park baseball sims and management sims and stuff like ah. that. And those are the kind of deals that you love to make is, you know, I'm just putting some some money in now and I'm going to go get a cool prospect later. And maybe that'll turn into something. And if you do that enough times, you're going to hit on one or two. Um, so I wish they'd done done more of this over the years. I'm glad to see they're doing it now. Um, I, I also wanted to get your thoughts on whether, you know, the the development of the, the draft lottery, you know, maybe impacts their thinking of like, let's go for it now because who knows what we're going to get, you know, in terms of a pick if, um, you know, if even if we are terrible. Yeah, that's an interesting topic. And and I think this was after the Newman trade, maybe Charrington was asked about this one of one of his recent Zooms with us and said he didn't know. And, and not that I expect him to be like super transparent or, you know, spill state secrets with us. It's just not his style. But, you know, say like, does, is this playing a factor in your team building strategy? And I mean, I sort of believe him. Like, I, I think they're at a spot where they have guys who can meaningfully contribute in 2023, or at least they hope they can. You know, like ideally, they should have Endy 
Malcolm Nunez, Quinn Priester, Mike Burroughs, and some others come up here and make their debuts. And that's great. And they already have established young players, you know, like the O'Neill Cruises of the world, Castro, Sawinski, Bay, like guys that you need to give playing time to. And then the, the, the more veteran core or veteran core in Pirates terms, like Brian Reynolds, Key Brian Hayes, et cetera. Like that amalgamation of players leads you to start finding spots where you have a weakness and you need to spend money to address it. And I think that's what they've done at first base. I think that's what they'll do the pitching group a little bit, um, the bullpen group as well. Like they, they need to spend that money. And, you know, with pitching, I'd be a little bit more reluctant to trade it based on who you sign. I think a, a really good, you know, sort of olive branch or, I don't know, signal to the fan base would be signing somebody for multiple years, specifically a pitcher. I wouldn't look to trade him. Um, but yes, to your original point, Adam, I wish they would have done more of this. And I don't I don't think there's a problem at all with it. I, I, I'll be very intrigued to see what other moves that they want to make to add to this roster. Jason, I want to give you a chance to call your shot. What's the next what's the next move the Pirates are making here? Call my shot. Um, I'm going starting pitcher. I'm going starting pitcher. I don't know who it's going to be. I know Kyle Gibson's name has been out there. Um, there, Michael Pineda is another one that I wrote about. He he intrigues me just because I think he would be a little bit more affordable. Had a down year last year, dealt with some injuries. Derek Shelton knows him well from his time in Minnesota. So, all right, I'm going Pineda. If you make me say something, I'm going to say signing a pitcher, Michael Pineda is the guy. If, if that lands, man, that's going to be one heck of a half-court shot. There you have it, Adam. Be sure to clip that part right there. If he lands it, we're just we're just putting this up all over all over TikTok, YouTube, anywhere that we got it. We got a presence. We're gonna we're gonna put it up everywhere. We got to switch back to the Steelers in just a minute here on the North Shore Drive podcast here on the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. But before we do that, first we got to talk to you guys about Yinzes in the Berg. Yinzes in the Berg is the number one place to get your Pittsburgh sports apparel. If you want some Carlos Santana gear, they're gonna have it. I guarantee you. So go to Yinzes in the Berg. They have two legendary stores in the Strip District. Plus, they have a growing online store at yinzerspgh.com you can get all your pittsburgh steelers Sixers steelers pittsburgh penguins pittsburgh pirates pit all pittsburgh sports apparel right there and not just apparel you get plenty of accessories and much much more so many options you got to be there to believe it so go to one of their two stores in the strip district or if you can't make it to the strip district you're out of town you're a pittsburgh fan from afar go to their website yinzerspgh.com and again that's yinzerspgh.com for all your pittsburgh sports apparel On the North Shore Drive podcast, I'm Chris Carter with Jason Mackey and Adam Bittner here of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. We're wrapping things up. Adam, you always do really insightful stuff on PFF grades and how, they, how, they're, how they're ranking the Steelers' play. They had an interesting grade for Alex Highsmith this, this past week. Alex Highsmith, of course, came up huge in three of the last four plays that the Colts had on offense. He had a sack, a tackle for loss, and a pressure that forced an incomplete pass on fourth down. What did you see from Alex Heisman? What did the grades, uh, you know, pan out to how they how they uh, assessed his play? You know, I've seen a lot of people saying on social media, "Man, Alex Heisman has has had the quietest ten sacks, you know, of anyone ever." Um, that he's he, that he's just not been a noticeable player. But that's just that's not how PFF scouts see it. He had a, a grade of eighty five and change against the Colts. Um, his overall grades eighty one point five, which puts him twentieth among edge rushers in the NFL. I, I realize it's easy to lose him when when he's you know compared to TJ Watt, one of the greatest players you know at his position of his generation. 
But for a third round, you know, former third round pick, Alex Highsmith has been a really solid player. And if the Steelers had more guys who were just solid like him, um, I think we'd be having a different conversation about this team because that's all that's all you need to be a little bit better, right? You don't need to have a ton of stars. Um, you need to have more players that are that are capable of you know having a quiet ten sacks, right? And and um, you know just just not not being liabilities. And I think that's what Alex Highsmith is, and, and I think he's a really useful player for this team. That doesn't make him a star, like I said, but it, you know if you have more guys like him, you can succeed. I, I'm intrigued by. You know, him being 20th on this list. And there's plenty of guys that deserve to be over Miles My- Garrett. Uh, I don't understand their uh, their obsessions with Miles Garrett. I think he's a good player. You think he's a very good player even. But a, a 92.4, like they always rank him as the best edge rusher in the league. And he has not been that uh, once in his in his career. Uh, but, you know, guys like Micah Parsons, phenomenal. Uh, but then there's guys like Bryce Huff who – Get, who get who who get it who get in there with the high grade or you know Montez what I, th- I think has been decent but to put guys like him Randy Gregory uh Josh Sweat John Franklin Myers above what Alex Highsmith has done this this year I mean I granted I get the Steelers are not a good team and they don't attract that kind of attention but it sounds like those I look at I look at PFF grades and I'm like what are we looking at here I mean last year they legitimately graded Miles Garrett ahead of TJ Watt when TJ Watt set the NFL sack record. And it's and, and then when when they I saw one of their guys breaking down you know when and where double teams were and who got more double teams and charting it out. And they had TJ Watt to never being double teamed against the Titans last year. When I was watching that game and he was double teamed at least like eight times. And I'm like, this this doesn't seem objective here. But there's times like this, and I'm just like, you know, I, I think it's good that they're giving Alex Highsmith praise, but this is where I'm like, I don't think he gets enough credit. This guy's got 10 sacks in the season. TJ Watt's been missing for most of the year, and he's finding ways to step up. Like you said, he's a third-round player stepping up and being a really good – I'd say even better than a role player at this point because he was the one who stepped up and kind of won the Colts game for them. Um, I, I think that he – I still think that he's kind of being underplayed even by PFS grading system here. I don't understand – if I could just jump in for a second, sure. guys. How do you have a quiet double-digit sack season? Because like no one's no one's talking about you. Like he's he's not in these conversations with the best. Yeah. Even twentieth, I think, is 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 like kind of pushing him back on on edge rusher performance. Yeah, I just don't I, I don't understand like the lack of attention or why people seemingly are so quick to discredit Alex Highsmith. I mean, if he was doing this the entire season opposite T.J. Watt, and you're seeing like T.J. Watt occupy three blockers at a time, and Alex Highsmith constantly has like you know one on one and like these easy rush routes, like. I guess I get that, but I mean, the dude is producing the numbers that you're expecting him to produce. PFF, which I like and respect, I don't think it's the holy grail the way some people do, but I mean, you know, like they have people who are paid a lot of money and are very smart to watch and evaluate these things. Like there are things stacked here that say Alex Highsmith is a is a good player and people are still like, ah, nah, eh, it's third round pick. It's opposite TJ Watt. I don't know. It's just... Can we admit that this guy's like a pretty good outside linebacker? Well, Jason, that's why I, that's why I like doing the PFF grades. Is you're right, they're not gospel. They're just you know often they're one man's opinion, and and you know you you can't put too much stock in it. But but I like to challenge narratives with them um, because I think sometimes we can fall into laziness when we talk about the Steelers and just talking about them in terms of tropes, like the offensive line. I think early in the season you saw trends saying you know, in the grades that they were better than, than maybe we thought they were going into the season. So I wrote a, bit about, a lot about that then. And um, Alex Highsmith is the thing that's sticking out to me now because you're right. He does have a better grade. And so I don't get as like caught up in like, 
Who do they have above him? Where, you know, where exactly does he rank specifically in breaking down those like specific comparisons? I look more, you know, in totality and like he's in the top 20. And I don't think a lot of people think about him that way in terms of edge rushers. And you know who, you know, I think a lot of people wish Bud Dupree was still here. Do you know where Bud Dupree ranks? I looked it up and I put it in the PFF grades. 87th among edge rushers. So Alex Smith is a better player than Bud Dupree would have been if they held on to him, um, you know, significantly. And to me, that's where the PFF grades tell you, like, there's a big difference between these two guys. And and the Steelers made the right move in, in moving on from Bud Dupree, and um, they made the right pick in, in going with Alex Highsmith to kind of take that role in their defense. Yeah, NFL baffles me too, man. Like, I'm not discrediting the PFF grades or writing about them. Like, it's a great piece of content that gets readership every week. But, mm-hmm. like – this is one game. Can you imagine if they did like PFF grades for Major League Baseball? Like this, this is how this guy performed on a Friday. I mean, it's just it, it, it's like psychological. There's such a difference between how much the freak out is over the NFL. And I understand why it is. And it's justified. But like, I don't know. I'm in a world where one game is like, yeah, whatever. It's just one game. Move on. But but I think that's part of the attraction of the NFL, right? Is that, no, for sure. For sure. It, it, is not, that not. It, you know, you, you, you watch one game and it, it means a lot. Like, whereas I could miss a month of Pirates baseball and be like, all right, what, where, and that would be, I think, the equivalent to like, you know, uh, like two weeks of football. But, you know, if you're, you know, I could, I could miss a week of Pirates baseball and be like, well, okay, I didn't miss much because they, 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 they got 182 of them things. But in, in football, here's miss- two and four. Welcome back. Exactly right, but 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 with football, if you miss the last three games, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they're in a different place than they were when you know coming out of then coming out of the bye. And I think that people you know people would be talking about this team differently. Like, oh man, you missed you know the the, the rise of the run game, the rise of Kenny Pickett, you know, and and the defense getting back T.J. Watt. And what's that done for for, for that unit? So I, I do think that there's that to take into consideration. Oh, and can I say this too, Chris? You know, I, I think it's important to use the the stats, and I try to of like you know in totality. Of, of okay, here's how he performed in one game. And if it's a one-off, you just kind of say it's a one-off. And, and right. we're getting to the point in the season where I enjoy doing this because you can look at the body of work a little bit more. And you do have that bigger sample size. And I think that's what made Alex Highsmith attractive for me to write about this week because he has put some pretty solid grades out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've just been, you know, one here, one there. This week, you kind of look at the grade and it just kind of sticks out to you. He's the 20th best edge rusher. I don't think people talk about him that way. And so that's where I think we're getting into the part of the season where you get to talk about it with a little more sample size. And I, I love that. You know, I, I who's think the Steeler, if, if you don't mind me, who's the Steeler that is like, if we say Highsmith like, is undervalued with some of these things, who would you say is maybe overvalued? Who gets too uh, much shine? If I was just shooting off the hip, I would say Najee Harris is probably the guy that the PFF would look at. Um, and I think Deontay Johnson would, would fall in that role as well. Um, we, I think Chris and I talked a lot about last week. You know, His numbers have pretty much gone off a cliff since Kenny Pickett has started. The, the connection you know, hasn't really seemed to be there between those two. They haven't had kind of the chemistry. Um, so that's, that's, I, think, I think people think more highly of both of those players than maybe the stats have. Um, to this point. And it's been a consistent thing with Deontay Johnson. The grades were good when Mitch Trubisky was in there. The grades are bad. Um, when Kenny, I think this week was his first grade over 60 um, with Kenny Pickett playing the whole game. And, and 60 is like not a phenomenal score. So that, that kind of puts in perspective, you know, what we think of Deontay Johnson and what he did with Ben Roethlisberger and what he's been doing with Kenny Pickett. I think that's, you know, going into the offseason, that's a connection that, that really needs to be worked on. I, I agree. It needs to be worked out. You, you can't be paying a guy eighteen million dollars a year 
and him not getting you a touchdown in an entire season. But I, I but again, this is where I, and again, I'm not discrediting PFF as a, I, I love PFF's hard stats. Like, you know, the, 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 the target, the things like that, but their grades are where I'm just like, wait, what, how did you know? Like, like for example, Benny Snell has played all of one game in this season. He had, and in the last game, nine carries, 52 yards. Good job, you know, coming off the bench and helping. He has an 80.4 grade. He is the highest graded offensive player on the Steelers, according to the P- to PFF. And to your point about about Adam uh, Adam about about Najee Harris, they have Najee Harris as. Uh, the 18th best player on the Steelers uh, roster on the Steelers offense, and that uh, to me, I'm just like, no, I don't care what stats you stats you pull up, uh, unless unless there's actual things you gotta you watch the tape, and there's just there's no way that that's that that's the case uh, in this. And then again, I go back and I look at the games where he played well, and if we're looking at honest honest grading, the Saints. You know, he got a 54.2 grade against the Saints when he was the reason they won that game. And I'm like, what What are we looking at here? And and I'm just like, I, that, that's where I, I think that sometimes PFF it pigeonholes itself into this narrative where the people that are doing these grades, I think they have too much personal. Like, I mean, one, we've we've seen it. There's a lot of Ohioan bias with some of the with some of the, the percentages and the things with that. I mean that that's just I think that's held out over over time. But it's it's times like that where I'm like I feel like there's a little bit too much work because there's times where Benny Snell puts up these numbers. It's maybe to say oh yeah Najee Harris isn't as effective because look at Benny Snell he's the best player on the offense when he's on the field. They don't need Najee Harris. But I'm like but wait a minute when everyone when the entire defense was focusing on Najee Harris he had better numbers in these games and he had a lesser grade. That's why I just I don't get. You know, I I don't think they're nearly as consistent enough. Well, and that's why I try to like, you know, I can't write about every player every week, right? Of course, but of I, I can kind of focus on, you know, why is this grade this way and kind of look into some of those hard stats you're talking about. Some of my favorite are average depth of target with receivers because that's a good indication of whether they're performing downfield. I think we talked last week about Deontay Johnson, how that number's crept higher, and maybe that's not such a good thing because he's supposed to be a precise route runner who, you know, isn't running deep routes, but he's getting yards after the catch. Um, I think the big thing with Najee Harris has been the elusiveness and the um, the, the yards per carry after contact. Um, he had that one big run against the Saints, but I think he otherwise was punished because he wasn't getting, you know, a ton of yards after contact on his other runs in that game. That's not to say he didn't, you know, play well and he wasn't the reason, um, it wasn't one of the main reasons that they won, but that's just an example of how, you know, when you grade play to play and not just, well, he had a 30 yard run. So that, you know, we're just going to give him a great grade and forget those other snaps. I think that's how PFF looks at it. And and sometimes I think that's how we, we lose track of, you know, yeah, he had some great plays, but he also, how did he perform on those other 10 snaps where we weren't paying attention to him? And that's, that's kind of where the, so that's why I try to write about, you know, what do those stats say and not just here's the grade and let's just, take it as gospel why was that grade that way by looking at the stats is something i try to do right and i i I totally i totally get that and saying it's it's important to play to play but also again the honest assessment of play to play like that that's why i love doing film breakdowns that's why i love looking looking at things like there's times say oh Najee harris he had one yard on this play and he only got uh got two yards after contact that's bad i'm like yeah but those two yards after contact was after fletcher cox and javon hargrave hit him in the backfield and he still still found a way to kind of to to to, to make something of that play at least make sure it wasn't a, a loss and that's where i'm just like ah, like i i don't i don't see it. i mean they at least have him chartered for 31 uh, forced missed tackles that's 13th uh, most in the in the nfl right now that's more than austin eckler and alvin kamara and joe mixon and ezekiel elliott and a lot of these other big names in in the nfl but I, again that's where i just feel like 
I feel you. Like, like there's it's important to look at those plays that don't get the attention of the 30-yard run where he breaks it, where he, where he busts it downfield. But I also think it's important to look at why certain runs didn't work out. Yes, he has a, a, a lower yards after contact because oftentimes his contact is coming four yards in the backfield and he's having to try to make up just to get back to the line of scrimmage. Uh, that's where I caution people about the PFF grades. I think it's a fantastic service for getting, uh, like, again, the, the hard stats, the the you know the the depth of target a- average for receiver, like stuff like that is great. But the grades is just like like with Alex Highsmith. I'm like ah, like twenty. 20 that's where I'm just like I think you could play, play back and forth. But again, it's fun content that gives us stuff to talk about, like on, on shows like this. Yeah, well, I agree. And and you know, I'm the stats guy. Like I'm always going to be the one making the case. It's not always the most persuasive, but that's what makes this fun is, is that, mm-hmm. you know, you look at the film, um, you know, and, and, and I look at the stats and, and hopefully that makes for a good show for everyone. Absolutely. We'll have more stuff coming your way this week. We'll have Rafe Apollo on the Friday episode of the North Shore Drive podcast, getting ready for Steelers Falcons and how things look. And they're coming on a short week. That can always be a challenge. But from Chris Carter, Jason Mackey and Adam Bittner, thank you for checking out the North Shore Drive podcast here on the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette channels, which you can find on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and especially on YouTube. Like this video if you enjoyed it. Subscribe to the YouTube channel to get all of our daily content that we have coming out here, as well as our Monday, Wednesday, and Friday shows of the North Shore Drive podcast. We'll see you again very soon thanks for tuning in to another episode of the north shore drive podcast of the pittsburgh post gazette if you're watching this video on youtube please like the video and subscribe to our youtube channel for six months of digital access to post-gazette.com for just six dollars click the link down below in the description Llegaron los Propane Days a Lowe's. Desde ahora hasta el 16 de junio, los miembros MVPs de Lowe's reciben un 20% de reembolso en pintura con una tarjeta de regalo electrónica de Lowe's por compras de pinturas elegibles de 100 dólares o más. Lleva la nueva y exclusiva pintura HGTV Home de Sherwin-Williams Specrite para interiores. Lowe's sabe de pros. Aplican exclusiones, restricciones y más términos. Visita Lowe's.com diagonal L diagonal Pro Loyalty Terms. Sujeto a cambios.